One of the most amazing things about the Christmas story, and there are many amazing things, is how this story was in the making for thousands of years. People have been expecting a great king or great prophet to come and rescue them from their oppressors. They expected he would be the son of King David or someone like the prophet Elijah. They had great expectations and for good reason. Their holy scriptures wrote about this man, this liberator who would come. They said he'd be the son of David, one who would rule in truth. Through all their expectations that were fulfilled, I think they were still very surprised by what they saw. Jesus wasn't like any king they'd seen or heard of or any prophet they'd read about. Yes, he was just and righteous, but in ways far deeper than anyone expected. He was a healer, but again, more than expected. He healed the nation's soul. He ruled not with powerful force, but through very humble actions. And the last thing they expected, even though it was so clearly stated in the book of Isaiah, he wasn't even accepted by his own people, but rejected and even despised. I find this true even today, 2,000 years after Jesus' birth. I believe Jesus is the predicted son of King David, come to rescue me. I believe he came to speak truth and justice, but I am regularly surprised by the depth of his message in scripture. When I pay close attention to the words, he speaks right into the heart, and I am amazed. Isaiah describes Jesus, and he writes, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. We hope you experience some surprises and amazement this Christmas season. The words from the ancient prophets will bring a new perception. Jesus was everything they said he'd be and more. Great expectations and a host of surprises. Well, good morning. good morning. My name is Chris Emmons. I'm the Ross campus pastor here. And so we're glad you're here with us this morning. If this is your first Sunday with us, thank you for being here. We're glad you decided to join us. Before we get into today's message, I just want to take a minute to pause and celebrate what happened last week. Erin mentioned it in her video earlier. Uh, last week, last Sunday, was our commitment Sunday for our shaken journey. And it was amazing. Honestly, it was so cool to see so many families come forward and trust God to move boldly in their lives. It was an awesome sight to see. And I'm moved even now by how much people stepped out together. Listen, if you weren't here, but you want to make a shaking commitment, you want to be part of the shaking journey, then it's not too late. You haven't missed that window. In the back of the room, if you're interested, on the communion table where we've got some communion sitting back there, we also have one of these shaking commitment cards. So you can pick one of those up, and we would love for you to pick that up, fill it out. There's also a QR code there if you'd prefer to do that online. And you can still drop these in the offering boxes that are in the doorways here. And those of you watching online, if you want to do that, you can go to shakenchurch.com and find a commitment card there online. We want you to be part of this two-year journey that we're going on. We want you to trust and surrender to God. And so we want to see God move boldly in us so that he can move boldly through us. 
And so I would encourage you, if you haven't done that, to pick up one of those commitment cards and turn them in today. But today, however, I want to celebrate something wonderful, guys. Christmas season is here. Can I get a what, what? Woo! Yeah! As you can tell, I'm excited about Christmas. Um, who's ex- who gets excited for Christmas? You guys, you guys get excited? I don't think you're that excited, honestly. You don't sound that excited. You're like, oh, it's raining outside. Oh, not really Christmas. Well, it is Christmas. Thanksgiving's over. I've been listening to Christmas music since October 31st, okay? I love Christmas for so many reasons, right? I love the family get-togethers that we have. I love spending time with Pam and my family, just like coming together. It's a blessing at the Christmas season, right? I love the music. I just mentioned that. You may have seen me earlier dancing to some of it, okay? I like Christmas music. And if I'm being authentic up here, and that's one of our core values here at White Oak, is I also like presents, okay? I know, I get it, I'm an adult, right? We're supposed to tell you, it's not about the presents, guys, right? I'm also a pastor, and that's supposed to be like above worldly things. Okay, I, just, I get caught up in gifts, all right? Like, I like them. I'm a human being. I get excitement out of getting gifts. Even just little things bring me joy, Okay? And one of my love languages, if you don't know this about me, is gift giving, right? I love to give and get gifts. And so as a result, I give gifts big too. I like to see people open gifts, even if it's not for me. I just love to watch that. I love the anticipation that comes with getting a gift, right? That lead up where you don't know what's in the box, right? What you're getting and you're like, oh man, what what could it be? What's in here or this bag or whatever, like some of you, and, and, and I'm mostly talking to kids, but there's some adults that do it because I know I still do it. You shake your gifts. Pam like, puts them under the tree, and she tries to hide my gifts, and I'm like, where are my gifts? And I'm moving them out, and I've shaken them still. I'm still doing that. I am like a toddler. It's crazy. Now, my mom knew this about me, and my brother and my sister, we shook gifts a lot. And so she had a really, she was awesome at combating this. My mom was a genius. She would take our gifts and wrap them up, and then she would put stuff inside of them that wasn't part of the gift that would make them sound different. Um, One year, I remember she put in a bunch of my gifts, and it was always clothes that she put this in because what kid wants clothes? Parents, your kids don't want clothes, okay? They put it, remember the camera film roll containers? Some of you may never experience these again, but they were little black containers that you put your camera film in before you get it processed. She would put like pennies in that and then put it down in the gift, and I'd be shaking. I'd be like, what could that be? It was socks. So (laughs) she was really good at, like, tricking me. So this is what kids are like. Kids really love the anticipation of Christmas, right? How many of your kids are asking you how long until Christmas? If you got kids, they're counting it down, right? And so they love that. I love how kids have that anticipation. I love that about Christmas, And it's similar to something that I also love about Christmas because in the Bible, the big thing I really love about Christmas, the most important thing, is the fact that Jesus came, that we got the birth of a Savior. And in the Bible, the people who were living at the time of his birth, they were anticipating something. They had an anticipation. They were waiting. You see, in our current world, we get to celebrate that past event, right, what happened with Jesus' birth, for a promise for the future, right? We can look back at awe and wonder at all these Christmas narratives and stories that we we read about the birth of Jesus, and we get filled with joy because we know that that promise that they had was fulfilled in Jesus. 
we get a holistic picture of what Jesus did for us. Yet for the people living in the time when he was born, they were still having an, they were still anticipation. They were still waiting. Now they knew they'd been promised that the Savior would come, right? That Jesus would come. But they had their own ideas of what that would look like. They were anticipating something in a certain way. They had expectations. That's why we titled this series, Great Expectations. Because they expected God to move in a way, but they weren't sure of how that would look. Because for these Israelite people, who had been God's chosen people, all the way back from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, right? They'd been made a promise that a coming king would eventually show up, a Messiah. And so we find all those promises that we, that we can find here in, in, in the Old Testament, in the, what we call the Old Testament. And so this is what we want to do in this series. We want to look at how those promises point to Jesus. Listen, God is sovereign. His vantage point is higher and fuller, better than we can imagine or expect. And Jesus is the reason that we can trust God above ourselves, right? The promises about Jesus are just as true now as they were then. And so every Jewish person in Jesus' day, they expected a Messiah. 1,500 years before the birth of Christ, the Old Testament begins to draw a portrait of this Messiah. Now Moses, along with other prophets who came later, they all write about and create this sketch of what the coming Savior will look like. What does he look like? Does he look like the Jesus we know in the New Testament? So today we want to start this series off with talking about our expectations of our Savior and how those expectations are met in the person of Jesus. And today we're going to start this series by looking at the fact that they said he'd be a king, and he is. And if that's true, then this big idea for the day is important. And the big idea is this, is that you should live like you believe he's king. You should live like you believe he's king. I'd love if you would turn with me to Genesis, to the very first chapter, first book in the Bible, Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter 49 of Genesis. And if you've got your Bible or a Bible app, I'd love for you to pull that out. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words will be on the screen behind me as I read. But I want you to know that if you want a Bible, we want to put one in your hand. Did you see that fly? Man, they are just, mmm, we're getting... We want you to have a Bible. In the hub, in the center of the lobby, we want you to stop by there and, and talk to one of our friendly faces there, and they would love to give you a Bible. That's yours. You take that home, okay? But in, in, in Genesis 49, we get to see a man named Jacob. And Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham, if you don't know who Abraham is, and that's okay, listen, Abraham was the father of the Israelite people. He was the one who God made the promise to that from his lineage, the entire nation of Israel would be formed, that he would create the generations of God's chosen people. And so Abraham is the basically father of the Israelite people, of the Jewish nation, right? And so they look to him as someone important. And so his grandson, Jacob, who is at one point called Israel, okay? So again, this is where Israel comes from. He's, um, he's about to pass away. He's about to die. And so he calls his sons. He has 12 sons. Now, the 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And so he calls them to them, and, and he starts to give them blessings, and, and basically deathbed type of conversations, right? And he's talking to them at the end of his life. And to one of his sons, Judah, he says this, which is in verse 10 of chapter 49. He says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now, if you don't know what a scepter is, when he says a scepter, a scepter is a sign of nobility. It's about baseball bat size, okay? It's a rod. It's, it's ornate most of the time. It's something that a noble person would carry. It looks like a baseball bat with a giant ball at the top, and it's like encrusted with jewels. I've got one of these at home. Pam lets me carry it around the house. Um, I'm like, bring me my dinner. She's like, go cut the grass. I'm like, all right. <laughs> But a scepter was something that denoted royalty, and they would take these out when they go on their you know, special occasions. Have you ever seen a picture of the queen? Sometimes she would be holding these if she was out in you know, big, big ordeals, right? And so when Jacob tells Judah, his son, that the scepter will not depart from him, he's basically stating to Judah, hey, from your lineage, a king is coming. And this is intriguing because... Again, I mentioned Jacob has 12 sons. Of all of his sons, Judah was the least interested in power. He was the one who was the least interested in being the front guy. He didn't want the attention. He wasn't somebody who was looking for power. Actually, Jacob had another son, Joseph, who was far more famous in the Genesis narrative, right? Joseph, who got thrown into a pit by his brothers and then taken to Egypt and then eventually rises up into nobility in Egypt under Pharaoh. Now, if I'm writing this story of, hey, from which line of, of the sons of Jacob will a king rise, I'm writing it to be Joseph. I'm saying, oh, that's going to be Joseph for sure, because look, he's, he's the one that rose up to power. But I didn't write the story. God wrote the story. And in God's story from Judah's lineage... We travel throughout history, right, generation upon generation, and we end up at a shepherd boy named David. And David eventually becomes a king. Now, see, David was from the line of Judah. So we get to see Jacob's promise from God, that promise that was given to Judah. It comes true in the fact that David becomes king. Royal lineage, right? So they actually end up separating. Now, again, Israel is a nation, and Judah ends up the, 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 the region of Judah because they name it after that family, right? It kind of separates from Israel. And Jerusalem is the capital of Judah. And so, again, this is a holy place, the, the place where people would go if they were an Israelite person. This was an important place, Jerusalem. And so this is where David was king, and so from this line, this is where all these Jewish people believed that one true king would rise up. Maybe they even thought that David was the one. Again, like we heard in the video, a son of David possibly was the one that was... Remember what the passage said? Until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. They believed this was the place which God would, would send the promised Messiah and king... Now, here's the interesting thing. David's lineage rules over these people, and then Judah falls in siege from the Babylonians. 
And it ceased to be a kingdom as it was before. It wasn't the same. And I'm sure that there's a lot of these people who thought, how can this be? Like, what do you mean? This was supposed to be our promised kingdom. Our king was supposed to come from here. Now listen, he's in my, he's in my water cup. He fell in my water. <laughs> You're dead. Oh, there you go. It's a Christmas miracle, fly. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a distraction the whole service. I'm sorry. Um, so they were thinking, what, what has happened? What happened? And listen, I think we do the same thing. We do that oftentimes. We have an expectation of what God will do in our lives, right? We expect God to do something for us, to give us a better job maybe, to help us financially, to, to you know, line up a marriage or, or heal a marriage, right? Give us respectful and God-loving children, right? Maybe we anticipate that God will call us to something powerful, and yet we're struggling to find our path. Maybe we're waiting for God to take away pain and anxiety, and yet we continue to struggle, especially some of us struggle. This time of year is a hard time for some of us. This is how the Israelite people felt. They are, they, they're, they're brokenhearted. The promise they thought would be fulfilled has not happened. And those expectations that they have start to begin to disappear because for about four or 500 years, God doesn't speak to them through the prophets like he had before. And then something marvelous happens. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And in this story, we get to meet a young Israelite woman. Her name's Mary and her husband, Joseph. And she gets visited by an angel of the Lord to bring her news. So we're going to read this, starting in verse 31. He says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And what we get is a young, vir- well, a young virgin who, has, was carried, who carried Jesus. God gave her this gift, right? Now, Joseph, her husband, doesn't know what to do, right? Like, he can, he, I understand this. I understand his concern. He's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, people are going to start talking about what's happened here. And he says, you know what? Maybe I'm just going to quietly divorce her. But, but an angel comes to Joseph as well. And this is important. I want to read this to you. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are get to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This seems rather trivial, but it's important because Joseph was a descendant of David. His family came from the line of David. That's right. God chose this family specifically because they were descendants of the lineage that Jacob had promised Judah would be king over all. And now Jesus is being born to the descendants of King David to continue on that nobility, right? Now, God made a promise, and it didn't look the way we thought it would, but he delivered. And that matters to us because it shows us that our Savior, Jesus, he's a king. He comes from a royal lineage. And if that is true, we need to live in a different way. You need to live like you believe he's king. 
The truth is, this is not the king they were expecting. For many people, they were probably expecting Jesus to come down from the clouds, possibly on like a horse or a chariot with like fire underneath of him. And he's holding like the scepter in one hand and the sword in the other. And he's, and he's ready to defeat Israel's enemies. That's the picture that I kind of have of a Messiah, if you want to know the truth. Like this amazing, powerful being that just comes down and like, hey, I'm here. Not a baby born to a young, unassuming couple in the quiet of the night. That's not what I picture. Listen, what is the least intimidating human you can think of? A baby. Now listen, I know babies are scary to take care of if you don't know how to do that. But let me tell you something. A baby cannot hurt you. A baby has no power, right? They are not intimidating. Like, they can cry. You can walk away. They can't follow you, right? Yet this little baby was the king. And God sends angels to tell others of this newly arrived king. In Matthew chapter, 20, chapter 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now these magi, they were probably royalty, right? They saw this star, which they had been told would be the herald of this new king. And they go looking for him. Why did they go looking for him? It says they want to worship him. Guys, do you get that? Do you, do you see that? When I talk about them being royalty, these are kings, who came to worship a king. That didn't happen. Kings didn't worship other kings. They wanted the people to worship them. And yet these guys come to worship him, the king of kings. Now, I don't think they expected Jesus to be in the place or situation that he was. Yet they knew the promises and they came looking for him. And everything from the history of the Israelite people pointed to Jesus as their king the one who had established a kingdom unlike the one of David, right? The worldly kingdom of Judah had come to an end, but what Jesus brought with him was a kingdom without end. So why are we focusing on this today? Why do we focus specifically on this part of the story? What does this mean for your life? I think it's easy to look at these stories, these Christmas narratives, and think, okay, that's great, that sounds great, it's a great song, well, I love it, yep, but so what? So what? It comes back to the big idea. Live like you believe he's king. Because if you believe that Jesus is the king, the one and only king, then this needs to change some things for you. First, this should drive something we've talked about through 2022. If you haven't been here with us, something that we've talked about throughout this year, and I mentioned it earlier in the message, is that God is sovereign. That means that God is over all the earth. He created it all. He made it all. He planned it all. He has a better view than we do. He has a better plan. And as a result, he has a better way for all of us. And the fact that the promises God made in the Old Testament are played out so perfectly in the birth of Jesus proves just how sovereign God really is. Jesus came at just the right time to just the right people and in the perfect way. It was the ultimate plan played out. See, Jesus was a normal child, and he became a normal man. It says, Scripture says that he wasn't attractive or of a high place in this world. He was a carpenter. 
What other religion that you what other religion puts its most powerful God in a mundane place and position? What king would do that? None. God had a plan, it was so far beyond what we can understand that he executed it in such a way that just he saw he saw fit. And so it makes you at least wonder, listen, if God can do all that in the way that he did, if God can plan that out so perfectly, then why don't I trust him to do that in my life? Why can't I put faith in God? If he can do this, why can't I trust God? The second thing I think it points us out is how we treat the king. How do you treat a king? Look at how the British people treat their royalty. They're obsessed with them, okay? Queen Elizabeth just recently passed away. If you didn't know that, you're under, you were living under a rock, okay? But did you know that over a million people visited the capital the day of her funeral? It says the, mile to pass by, the line to pass by her coffin was five miles long. Five miles. While she was alive, people flocked to see her and her children and their families. She was nobility, People who had never interacted with her, never been able to know her, never been able to receive any care or love directly from her, right? They loved her. With all kings and queens, history shows us that these people were treated with respect and honor. Why is that? Why do we respect them? Well, one, they yield power. They've got power. They, they, they are an authority over people's lives. They can give you life or death, right? So when we look at Jesus and we treat him in a certain way, do we we treat him the same? If we believe Jesus is a king, how do we treat him? I mean, do we put Jesus in an honor place in our lives, right? Maybe, you know, again, the British people, what they do, I'm not saying that's how we should treat Jesus because oftentimes what they're doing is loving Jesus from afar, Right? They love their royalty from afar, but they don't know them. They don't get to know them personally. They don't get to talk to them. They just adore what they, what they can't understand. Do we put Jesus in a place of honor in our life? Do we rely on him for our livelihood? Or do instead, do we treat him like an obligation? Like, are you at church right now because you're like, well, it's Christmas, I gotta go to church. I mean, that's a reality. Do we never try to get to know him? Live like you believe he's a king, because here's the thing. He was the king in a different way than was expected, because God wanted to show the world that he was different than any other king that had come before him. He wasn't sitting on a throne looking for worshipers simply because they were told that's what they're supposed to do because of his place. They had seen and experienced plenty of kings like that prior to Jesus. Instead, God sent a king who would live amongst us. He would be just like us. He would be approachable, relatable, loving. But don't misunderstand me when I say that because I think sometimes we we get caught up in saying Jesus is just like us and Jesus is, oh, he's one of us and, and oh, I, you know, I don't have to, 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 to get down and respect that because he's at the same level as me. Sometimes, guys, I think we need to remember Jesus is the king and that means we got to get down on our knees and we got to worship him and we got to say, you have all the power, God. 
we got to be reminded sometimes that Jesus is a king too. And Jesus didn't wield a physical scepter. He didn't carry the scepter or the sword with him. Instead, what Bible paints the picture of is for is more of like a shepherd's staff. Someone who came to care for the flock, the lowly shepherd who lived out in the fields, right? He was there to care for his sheep, to protect us, to show us love and encouragement, to make a way so that we would no longer be lost. But, but in Hebrews, they talk about the scepter that Jesus, that Jesus did wield. Here's what it says. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. There it is. The scepter that Jesus brought with him was a scepter of justice. And you might be thinking, how does Jesus coming and dying for our sins really give out justice? Oh, I almost got him. Man, I'm sorry, guys. I, that was actually, I was just like, how does that give out justice? Where is the justice there, right? Where is it? Where's the justice there? The justice comes in the fact that the sins cannot go unpunished. Listen, the sins that all of us have done, the sins I've done, you've done, those things cannot go unpunished. They have to be accounted for. Someone has to take the punishment. And if not for God, we would be taking the punishment of eternal separation and suffering. And instead, God gave us a gift. An amazing and powerful gift. He sent his one and only son to die for us. Jesus took the cross instead of us. A king said, I will take the punishment that my people deserve. A king like no other. And as a result, we get the grace. We get that grace and that pushes us forward. And it it pushes us to do what God calls us to do. Live like you believe he's king. And that means we're looking for ways to worship our king in everything we do. Listen, many things in our lives receive our praise and our dedication, right? Our jobs, our kids, our spouses, our education, our social justice agendas, right? Those receive our dedication. Even the technology we have oftentimes can get the dedication and attention that we want because we believe that what we see as important should be top priority, right? And so as a result, we kind of have a, we expect a savior who will come and fight for our desires and our plans. Listen, guys, our expectations, just like the people back in the Old Testament before Jesus came, they are skewed. We miss the true promises. We miss the posture that Jesus wants us to take. Jesus fights for our hearts and he fights for our allegiance. We can't have a Messiah of our own creation. I can't have the Jesus with the chariot of fire coming down. Jesus alone is our king, and he's worthy of our honor, submission, and our worship. And nothing should stand in the way of that. And so i got to ask, do you live in a way that shows Jesus is the one and only? Do you go to him daily? Do you pray for him to speak into your life? This is the gift that he gives you, a gift of relationship, right? A gift of grace. So we can live like we believe he's king in lots of ways. Maybe you believe this is true, so maybe today you're hearing this and you're saying, you know what, I believe that. But you've never really given your life over to the king. I don't want you to miss that chance. Choose to make that decision today. 
Give your life over to the king. Say, you are in control. Or maybe you believe he's king, but you've never taken the step of obedience, the step that he asks us to take and be baptized. I want you to take that leap. Don't miss that chance, right? Show God that you're ready to let him be king of your life. Come find me today. I'll be down front afterwards, out in the lobby, wherever you want to talk to me. Talk to me about getting baptized because in two weeks on December 11th, we're going to celebrate that. People are going to choose to give their lives over to Jesus. And I want you to be a part of that. Live like you believe he's king. You see, we get to know the end of the story. Unlike the Israelite people who were living in the time Jesus was born, we get to see how this all plays out, right? We get to experience that promise of the kingdom here on earth. It came here on earth, right? Those people didn't necessarily get to see it. Some of them never got to experience it. They can only know of the kingdom yet to come. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, right, we get to experience, it says, the kingdom here on earth. And yet, we also get to anticipate the kingdom that's yet to come. At the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, if you've got, your, if you've got it open still, turn to Revelation chapter 5. And in Revelation, John is getting a picture. He's given a vision of the kingdom that is yet to come, that, that, final, that final kingdom. And in Revelation 5, he, he writes this. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. See, Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then go down here to verse 12. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. It says, And all the living creatures said, Amen. See, this is a vision of what's yet to come. And when I look what it said, it said, every creature will praise God. The king will be praised. No matter what anyone believes up to that point, in that moment, all will acknowledge the one and true king. Listen, the day is coming, but in the meantime... We can live our lives now as part of the kingdom here on earth. This week, I want to give you a challenge. I want you to have a challenge, okay? I want you to remind yourself every day that Jesus is king. And there's a specific way that you can do that. Every day this week, and if you've got a pen or something, your phone, pull your phone out and put this in a note on your phone, I want you to read Psalm 47. Go back to Psalm 47. This is a song that David wrote, the king wrote, right? To worship God. Psalm 47. And I love, I'm just going to read an excerpt from it in verse 2 when it says, For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. Read Psalm 47 in its entirety every day this week. Remind yourself and realize that we serve a King who is like no other. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we worship you. 
You are the King Almighty, the King of glory. You have brought your Son down to earth to save us. You sent him when we did not deserve that, Lord, and yet you sent him to give us grace. Lord, we did not expect him in the way that you sent him, but yet you still gave us this gift. And Lord, today we just pray that we continue to worship you, that we continue to put our lives before you. We continue to live like we believe you're the king. Help us to do that this week. Help us to make you the king of our lives, the king over all that we do. Thank you for Jesus, and we pray all this in his name. Amen.